Okay, we are going to go to our scripture for the day, which is 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We're going to be talking about humility today. And I'm just really proud to tell you that this sermon is going to be awesome. Um, (laughs) So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And today as we approach this subject of humility, something that I believe most of us struggle with, I ask Holy Spirit that it wouldn't just be something that's convicting us that we need the humility in our lives, that we need to be humble, but that there's actually a transformation towards being humble. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is a challenging topic. I don't know if you guys have really thought deeply about it, but it's a pretty challenging thing because you can describe yourself as a lot of things. You can say you're this or that and all that kind of stuff, but you can't really say, I'm humble. I'm just really, really humble. Now, you can't say that, right? Let's do an exercise. How many of you are humble? All the rest of you are prideful. No, I'm kidding. I just probably don't know you well enough. But it's really hard for someone to say, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm that. Because if I'm saying, like, how many of you are funny? Like, you know, yeah, I'm funny. It's an easy one to admit. But humility, it's not something that you can kind of self-proclaim. And what Peter wrote a couple of thousand years ago was to an audience who was pretty unfamiliar with humility, much like our culture and society today. In Peter's day, humility just wasn't on the top of their list when it came to virtues. In Peter's day, to the pagan culture and to the society that his audience lived in, it was pretty much about self-glorification. It's a pretty selfish society, right? Self-satisfaction, self-important. Sound like anything of what we are dealing with today? It's a lot about the self. And so in our society and in our culture, this is a virtue that is rarely ever spoken about. Now, how many of you have read the book of virtues? Yes! It's actually quite good, and there are some major virtues that are in it, some really good ones, and here are some of them. Responsibility, courage, compassion, honesty, friendship, persistence, faith. All really, really good virtues for good character, aren't they? I mean, no one would argue about those virtues. And I think all of those virtues, though, have one virtue That is the foundational virtue attached to all of them. You ever think about this? It's humility. Out of all those virtues that I just listed, how can one be responsible without humility? How can one be honest without humility? How can one truly be a friend without humility? And you can go down the list of virtues that are in your own head or that were in this book, and you can think about any virtue, and it has humility at its foundation. You have to have it. Yet this is a virtue rarely taught about in school. How many of you were raised in a school where they taught you this virtue of humility? 
or in your job training, when you go into your job and you're sitting there with all the new employees, is this something they talk about? You know what, guys, when you come in here, you got to be really humble and uh, try not to like step on others while you're getting ahead in this corporation because, you know, we got to be considerate about each other. Don't do that to one another. That is not in their vocabulary, right? Even in some churches, you don't hear this topic taught about much, right? And so you just take a look at what's in school libraries, what's in church libraries, what's in university libraries, what's in training manuals of employers. This is something that is rarely ever talked about, right? Even Christian sections of a bookstore, very seldom talked about. How many books have you read on humility? But yet, how many have you read about finances, relationships, how to study the Bible, prayer, any spiritual discipline, all those types of things. You've read a lot of books, but on humility, how many? I see like one finger on most people. They stick up one. Just please stick up the right one, otherwise I might misinterpret what you're saying to me. <laughs> humility is just not spoken about too often because we're too busy wanting to build ourselves up. Yet you can't truly build yourself up or really know who you are without humility. And we're so busy with this self-help kind of culture that we have and getting ourselves better and we're doing this stuff, but we're neglecting the foundational aspect of all of that self-growth and all of that self-betterment and all of those virtues, which is humility. How are we going to pass on this virtue of humility to future generations? How are we going to do this? Because I don't think we're doing a very good job at it. And it's really challenging. And it seems that we're getting more self-absorbed and less self-aware. I was talking to Carol about this because she's a life coach by profession in the Bay Area. She has clients all over the Bay Area. And this is something she shared with me, that it's increasingly more difficult for people to look her right into her eyes. That when they talk, they kind of just talk down like this, and they're just talking like this. And a lot of times it's because they're looking at some other device, checking emails or texts, or looking at social media, and the stuff is all about them. And they're not totally present in that moment, even though she's trying to give them life coaching, they're not totally present in the moment. And I'm not just talking about younger generations that just suddenly this technology is here for them. We were at a Christmas party, my family. And at the Christmas party was this 70-year-old lady who was there who was on social media the entire time, the entire time at the dinner table. And she's just there taking pictures of stuff and then sharing her stuff. But she's there. Like, why are you sharing with people out there when you're right here? And then she's just kind of doing, oh, that's really funny. And then putting, oh, that's really funny. And then some other 70-plus-year-old lady would get this little bling and look into, oh, yeah, it is fun here, isn't it? Like, What? Like, this is so weird, and it's all about me, and it's not about we, and we, and we tend to look at ourselves greater than we really are, and if you really don't think so, just ask to look at someone's resume. They don't put on their, I am really humble. Right? They put down everything that they think that they're really good at, every way that they're qualified, and humility never comes across. Yet, what does Romans chapter 12, verse 3 instruct us? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
most of us, if not all of us, probably think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, don't you think? Humility is a necessary foundational virtue for the Christian. It is a foundational Christian virtue. It's where all the other Christian virtues develop in this godly and healthy way. And there are many of us who possess some very, very good, if not great, virtues. Some of you are incredibly compassionate. Some of you have an amazing courage. Some of you have beautiful, wonderful faith. And some of you put forth a lot of effort to grow in those respective virtues that you highly value. That if you highly value compassion, you really put your heart into that. If you really value friendship, you put your heart into that. And you're passionate about those things and you take your responsibility very seriously. You may even be gifted in the virtue you possess and you can use it in your context of work or service or volunteerism in your relationships. But the thing is, you can still not be able to amount to very much from God's perspective because what you're doing in a virtuous state is done in pride and not in humility. Because you can do those things without being humble, right? You can be a friend. You can be honest. You can be compassionate. But you can do all those things absent of humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And now we're going to get into that a little bit more. And first we're going to start with this word, likewise. Likewise in verse 5. Don't worry, I'm not going to break down each, every word. I know it's just two verses, but this is the only one where it's just going to be one word, okay? Likewise. What was Peter referring to when he wrote the word likewise here in verse 5? He's referring to something. It's not like Peter just kind of interjected this idea of humility out of nowhere. You know what? In this letter, I'm just missing something. Humility. I'm just going to put it right here. Peter is really gifted. I know he's a fisherman, he's a total blue-collar guy, but he's really bright. And you recall, Peter wrote a great deal about submission in chapters 2 and 3, when we were studying that several months ago. And we started this topic of submission in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, with this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and praise those who do good. And yet, we see what has been happening around our country with violent protests and the crimes committed against law enforcement, as well as citizens of our country. Humility doesn't mean that you don't do anything about injustice. That's not what we're talking about here. What did Peter write in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15? For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So is the killing of two policemen in New York City doing good? Is looting and damaging innocent people's property doing good? Humility allows us to do good in the face of injustice. It's the foundation of what is truly compassionate, of what is truly courageous, of how to pursue justice persistently. Peter continued to lay out this idea of submission from being subject to every human institution to subject to your employers, verse 18, and then to the family structure in chapter 3, and then we explored this topic of submission in the context of church leadership just last week. 
So we see this theme of submission and being subject to others running throughout. And so this theme of humility has been running throughout Peter's letter and to the church. Chapters 2, 3, 4, 5. And this is why likewise is in verse 5. It's in reference to all that stuff. It's the same vein of submission of being subject to others. It's the same vein. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. In that same vein of submission, in that same spirit of submission from Peter's earlier writings, you who are younger be subject to the elders. And this is impossible without humility. There's no way you can do this without humility. Verse 5 makes it pretty obvious that those who are younger are to be subject to those who are older. Okay, so it seems that Peter's not referencing elders in, in terms of those in church leadership, but elders in terms of age here. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, why did Peter address this? I think it's because it goes back to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I've never met someone of a younger generation like this, but maybe you have, that they think higher than they ought to think of themselves. Just volunteer for a high school youth group and you'll totally understand what I'm saying. You don't even have to go that old. You can go into junior high. Actually, just come to my house and meet my eight-year-old. There's a lack of respect and a lack of humility for those who are older from those who are younger, don't you think? How many of us think we'd do things differently if we were in their position because we think it's better than theirs even though they're older than we are? I'm 40. I know I don't look it, but I am. I'm not lying to you, really. But how often do I think, you know, even Pastor Jack, who is like in his 80s, pastoring, he's twice my age, he's been pastoring longer than I've been alive. But how many times do I think I can do better than Pastor Jack? A lot. It's just a confession. But I think that a lot. Like, why would you do that? Why would you say that? And, and I have all these types of prideful thoughts in my mind of my elder even though he's been doing that longer than I've been alive. And you look at how authority figures are addressed today. I don't recall kids calling their parents by their first name when I was growing up, ever. I'd never heard it. In the last three years when my children have started elementary school, I've heard it more in the last three years than the previous 37 years of my life. I was like, what? You're calling your dad what? Or you're calling your mom what? I've been in martial arts since I was four years old. Never heard anyone address masters and instructors by their first name. Never. Never. I've enrolled my daughter in martial arts just this past year. It's everywhere. My mind's blown. I can't even stay in the studio. I'm like, my head's going to blow up. I just don't understand it. Like, oh, 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 36 of frustrations just coming out of my head. And so I think there's this lack of respect, and we're not helping younger generations learn humility. It's not just simply titles. I'm not talking about titles and that sort of thing. There's something inside that's changed, that made that change happen out of mouths. And if this is bothering you, like, oh, please, people should just call them by names. What is this? All this? You're so archaic, whatever. Maybe you have an issue with humility. If it bothers you, maybe you do. In fact, I say you do. <laughs> it's more than just how someone is addressed as an authority figure. 
I'm attempting to point out that there's something happening inside the character of a person of the sense of humility which has been lost. And it's impossible to be subject to anyone, including elders, without humility. You just can't do it. Then Peter casts an even wider net to include humility to more than just those who are older than you. Look at this, verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. Not just elders, everybody. Right? Big old net that he cast out. And so you notice that humility is not exercised in isolation. You can't do this by yourself. Humility is exercised in community. Right? You have to be with other people to exercise this one. Okay? And you can't exercise humility separate from other people. And humility is foundational in our relationships with one another. Think about this. Think about this. Without humility... How can we ever forgive one another when we've wronged one another? You wouldn't be able to bring yourself to that point, to say sorry. How do we love those who are hard to love without humility? How do we serve one another sacrificially without humility? How do we exercise any Christian virtue without humility? But how do we exercise humility? How is this done? Peter tells us, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. And this term, clothe yourselves, is really fascinating. This action of clothing yourself is in reference to that outer garment or that apron, that, that uh, scarf fastened to the belt or vest that distinguished a slave from a free man. So what this is an exhortation to Christians is to show that they're subject to one another by putting on humility, fastening one's self to serve one another in humility, to think through, I am a servant. I'm not just some free guy that's not subject to anybody. I am under God. And through all that submission with whatever, it's a family structure, employment, human institution, each other elders, I have to be in the mindset that I tie humility on like a servant ties on their apron prior to going out to serve. That I have to clothe myself this way. And this has to be done intentionally, mindfully, and volitionally. You have to choose to do it. You have to choose to put that on. Yes, it's an action, but this is also about a posture. This is an attitude. This is a position that you hold on to, that I am a servant. It's not a feeling. How many of you feel like doing this? How many of you feel like forgiving somebody that's really wronged you? Loving somebody that is really hard to love, it's not a feeling. It is a state of being through the Holy Spirit. Not because you are forced to, but because the Holy Spirit has led you to this and you are exercising a willful obedience to God and to His Word. How did you decide what you were going to wear to church today? For me, it was easy. It was just whatever's clean. Like, you know, it's clean. Right? Uh, this is a less wrinkly. I'm going to put that one on. But you decide, you choose to clothe yourself with what you've decided to clothe yourself with. Just like a servant's garment, like clothing yourself with humility, you have to choose to wear this. And by this, we'll have the right mindset to serve rather than to be served. 
to give rather than to take, to respond to the needs of others rather than judging them and condemning them for where they're at, to unite rather than to divide, to include rather than to exclude, to ask rather than to demand. How would any of those things be possible without humility? It's impossible. How can we truly love one another without humility? Imagine if humility was truly in the presence of a family. How family members would relate to one another if humility was truly present in their home. Wouldn't it just change everything? And some of you probably grew up in households where this was lacking, where this was absent. Imagine how much better relationships would be if we all clothed ourselves with humility. How our communities would be blessed, how our workplaces would be blessed. Imagine our church if we truly heeded Peter's exhortation to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, and we heeded Paul's exhortation in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. See, this is exactly what Jesus did in John chapter 13, verse 4. If you need an epitome of humility and service, just look at Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 4. Disciples, dirty, muddy feet. All walking in, thinking like, all right, who's going to wash my feet? I'm not going to wash your feet. Your feet are gross. You wash my feet. He rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then washed his disciples' feet. That's Jesus chose to clothe himself with humility. The lack of humility is the foundational problem to many of our relationships. Pride, arrogance, they kill relationships. I do a lot of counseling, and people, when they're talking, they blame relationships on a myriad of things, right? The inability to communicate, misplaced priorities, improper handling of money, a whole host of reasons as to why their particular relationships are not working. But I think if we pull those relationship problems back, back to the very core of why they are arguing, it's going to be glaring that it's pride. You're just going to unfold all of that and you're going to see pride just kind of glowing out of that. And I know this because I see this in the mirror really often. If I just look at what I'm struggling with personally and what I'm dealing with personally, and I just kind of start peeling back the layers, I can see that by the time that I peel several layers back, it's that same stinking thing again. It's the same stinking pride again. And when pride is present in one's life, you cannot experience grace. You can't. You can only experience grace in humility. That's the only place to experience it. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter here is referencing Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. James, the brother of Jesus, also references the same proverb in James chapter 4, verse 6. They're going back to the Old Testament and pulling those words forward. God does not give favor to the proud. He opposes the proud. So, if you come to him in pride, you won't be able to see him. You won't be able to hear him. That does not mean that God is ignoring you for your genuine questions about him. He answers us, 
but he doesn't answer to us. You get the difference? He answers you, but he doesn't answer to you. Arrogance, pride, that stuff prevents us from experiencing God. It doesn't allow that to happen. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, let's not confuse humility with being nice or charming or polite or courteous, considerate, thoughtful, all those kind of words, because you can be all of those things without humility, right? You can put on quite a facade and not have a humble heart. You can be prideful and nice. I've met a lot of them in the business world. They're really good at it, especially when they want something from you. You women who are of dating demographic, keep that in mind. You can be prideful and polite. Humility is way deeper. Humility is so much deeper. Humility is what opens up to true repentance, to see me for who I really am, to see God for who he really is. It allows for you to see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Those who are proud are blinded by their arrogance. Those who are proud aren't the ones used by God. You look at verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. It was all God. It is all God. God primarily used the weak to change the world. Look at the disciples. Look at Jesus himself. Now, sure, there were some incredible people there, right? The wisest person in the world, Solomon, God used him. There were some extremely powerful people that God used. Someone like Joseph. There were people of noble birth that God used, like David. But you look at the majority of people in the Bible that God used. It's not so. You can count how many people that were really powerful on a hand. Maybe two. Same thing with noble birth. It wouldn't take more than your ten fingers to point out. And everyone else, humble people. 
Just everyday people like you and me from humble beginnings who acknowledge that they are sinners saved by grace and God gives grace to the humble and imposes the proud. Jesus changes the lives of the humble. And it's not because you're religious or you practice in religious practices like giving money or attending church. In that Luke 18 parable, it's evident there, right? And you also notice that the tax collector came to God in humility and he received grace. Verse 6, 1 Peter, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You notice how Peter described the hand of God as mighty. Mighty hand of God. It's the same mighty hand of God that freed the Jews from Egyptian slavery, that frees us from our bondages of sin. And it will be the humble who recognize the mighty hand of God, God who is in control, who's not surprised about what's happening in your life, about what's happening in the world. So how do we go about knowing we are indeed under the mighty hand of God? when we realize we just don't have that much control over our life. When you notice that, when you notice and acknowledge and recognize that God is indeed in control of your life. Did any of you decide when you were born? Like you knew when your parents were going to do whatever they did to have you? You didn't know. Do any of you control the beat of your heart? The involuntary muscles that allow you to breathe while you sleep. Do any of you control any of that stuff? You're not in control. And when you are able to see who you truly are and who you are truly not, when you're able to see who God really is and who he is really not, then you'll be free. Then you'll be really free. Because only the humble heart will be able to see the mighty hand of God. Only the humble heart will be able to see the grace of God and who he really is. You'll be free from the things that keep you in bondage. All of those self-image issues, all of those issues in your life where you don't have something or you do have something, wishing that you were somebody else, wishing that you made some other decisions in your past that because you're in your current state that you should have done something else, that you should have made that decision. All those things you will be free of. You'll be free. It's not like God had control of your life only five years ago and today he decided not to. He's still in control. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? God does. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Nothing. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is just logical. This is reasonable, isn't it? If you ever want to be truly free, it only comes when you're truly content. When you love the person God really loves in you. Do you know that about yourself? He wouldn't change anything about you right now. He loves you exactly the way you are right now. He fully accepts you the way you are right now. You don't need to change who you are. You know what you need to change? How you think of yourself. How you think that he thinks of you. You simply need to be who he created you to be. And you don't need to change into that person. You are that person. And when we humbly accept that his mighty hand has been upon each one of us as we were created by him, we will be free from being who we really aren't and who we want to be. 
And so lie some of the problems within relationships because we don't know who we are. We don't know who God is, and our sense of who people should be is who we want them to be and not who God has made us to be. So we put all those pressures on each other. And when we humbly recognize the mighty hand of God, that's when you're going to be exalted. That He's there all along, that He's doing this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Not you exalting yourself. Man, if I can just buy that house, if I could just get that car, if I could just get that job, if I could just have a kid, you don't exalt yourself. He exalts you. Now, we don't humble ourselves so that we may be exalted. Don't get the logic there twisted. We can't manipulate God. Verse 6, it's not something to say like, this is how you influence God, guys. That's not what it's saying. This is just simply a statement of fact. It's just the way that things are, just like verse 5. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's just a statement of fact. The only people who get exalted are those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. We know who's writing this, right? Peter. Someone who was transformed by Jesus, someone who grew in humility, someone who recognized the mighty hand of God and was obedient to Jesus. But several years before he wrote this, who was that guy? Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when they have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew he would fall. And that's what Peter did. And he didn't write as one who had it all together because the stories of Peter's shortcomings are very well known. Because you just go to the next verses in Luke 22 where I just read that for you, starting in verse 32. Luke 22. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And then picking it up, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Pride creeping up a little bit, you think? Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. And it happened. Just as Jesus said, Peter denied Jesus at his death on three separate occasions, and then he turned again to strengthen his brothers. Peter fell so many times. He was humbled so many times. And we see how grace was there for Peter in his humility. He repented. He wept bitterly when he denied Christ. See, God opposes the proud, but there's grace to the humble. Even in your failure, Peter failed, but he humbled himself. He repented. Humility keeps things in check in our lives. It puts the circumstances that we're in into perspective. It puts the values that we place on things into perspective, the things we think are important because of our selfish agendas, because of our personal politics, because of our culture, or any other outside influence that shapes how we think. Humility puts it into a perspective where we are open to God's grace, where we can say, maybe I'm wrong. 
maybe what I believe in is wrong. Maybe what I value in that political agenda is wrong. Maybe what these people outside of this circle that are telling me are wrong. And the only one that is not wrong is God. And when he tells you it's something, then you have to have that humble spirit to say, the word is right, and this other stuff I have to reconsider. So how will we go about clothing ourselves in humility toward one another? How will we do that? You have to choose. How will we help those around us be clothed in humility, encouraging them, supporting them to do the same? I have one good book recommendation for you on humility. I wrote it. No, I'm kidding. It's written by Andrew Murray, and it has the most profound, like you would never think of the title ever that he came up with. It's called Humility. That used to be on our interns list when the church had interns going through. That was on the reading list for them of required reading. It's excellent. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you give us to just kind of have that space to grow, to have that space to figure out our pride and where we're lacking in humility. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, who may be struggling with this particular virtue that Jesus, you epitomize. Help us to be clothed with humility, Lord. Help us to grow in this. In Jesus' name, amen.